Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. There are certain days in your life that mark you, and for me, those days were the birth of my kids and also the birth of my grandchildren. I'll never forget it as long as I live because, you know, people, it's, it's kind of rote to say it, I know. But it is truly a miracle when you're there and you you watch this happen, this thing that just occurs and brings life into the world. And it's so beautiful. And it's something that you never forget, at least for me. I, I'll never forget it until my dying day. But today, we're going to talk about a case involving a young mother and a baby who never had a chance at life. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Joining me is Jackie Howard, executive producer of Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Jackie, uh, I don't know, probably for me as a death investigator, if there were any sadder cases than those involving kids, and particularly babies. It just, it hurts your heart. It bruises you. It's something that you carry with you for the rest of your life. And the case that we're going to be discussing today is such a case like that, that I don't know that anyone could ever get over this, beyond it, past it, and certainly never forget it. No, Joe. And I think for me, what made this case as bad as it was, what made it one degree worse is that the young lady who died, her mother was the one who found her body. Reagan Simmons Hancock was found lying face down in her bloody living room. And according to the police, there was blood throughout the house. Now, this woman was seven and a half, nearly eight months pregnant with her second child. And keep in mind, again, that there was blood everywhere in the house, on the floors, on the walls, on the furniture, on the appliances, and other items throughout the house. And we discussed this case with someone else the other day, and the comment was made, you know how horrific it was because you don't keep your toaster in the living room. So she was found in the living room, yet there was blood on the toaster in the kitchen. Reagan Hancock Simmons was stabbed, and her baby, her nearly eight-month fetus, was cut from her womb, and her mother 
made the 911 call around 1030 on a Friday morning in October, having found her daughter lying face down in the living room. It's one of those things. I'm glad you brought up the point about blood because it's part and parcel of what we do as death investigators. It's one of the first things that people think about from an evidentiary standpoint because the spilling of blood is evidence that something horrible has happened, that there's a sickness or that there was some type of event that brought about at least from the smallest blood droplet to just a, a vast amount of blood where it looks like a room sometimes has just been bathed in it. And you have to be able to look past the horror of that and try to get down to business and try to understand the dynamics of the blood flow, dynamics of the staining of the blood that's left behind, and what is the blood trying to tell you. And it's quite something when you think about it. And that transfer of the blood, uh, and you get an idea of what had happened to both the victim and potentially a perpetrator, because they're contacting various surfaces. You know, you brought up uh, this point about the toaster. How in heaven's name does a toaster have a transfer or contact blood stain on the surface of it? And that's just not something that is compatible with logical thought. And it goes back to the premise that I've always said here on, on body bags, and that is that we as death investigators are always having to view the abnormal in the context of the normal. And sometimes things just don't make sense. Speaking of that, I have two questions for you. The first thing you have to consider is we know we have a finite amount of blood in our body. So how much is there for it to be everywhere? And we know that it smears and runs and pools. But to make another analogy, let's liken this to an arson scene. How do you find ground zero? How do you find the burn point? So with blood everywhere, how do you figure out where the murder actually occurred? Well, let's go back to your first question, and it's, it's certainly a great question. People want to know how much blood is in a person, you know, just up and walking around. And the answer is variable, and a lot of it depends upon the size and the level of physical maturity. If you're talking about a child, obviously that child is not going to have as much as a full-grown adult. And, you know, a more diminutive full-grown adult is not going to have as much as a rather robust individual. You know, if you begin to think and toy around with the idea, you know, maybe about two gallons of blood in your body, that gives you an idea of how much blood is floating around. And again, that, that number is greatly wildly variable. When there is a bloodletting or a spillage of blood, the primary, you, you drew the, the comparison between that and arson case. And Jackie, I don't think I've ever heard anybody do that, but it actually it's really cool, you know, because in arson, we, we think about things like points of origin. And with blood, it can, in fact, be the same where, first off, the initial attack may have taken place where you're going to have cast off blood. There's kind of a dynamic flow. You might have what's called arterial spray if you cut a vessel and you'll have that kind of immediate pumping out of blood. And then the person might say, for instance, after initially being injured, run away or attempt to escape. And then you'll have these kind of droplets that are falling away passively off of the body as they're tracking through it. And the person's footprints might be tracking through it along with a perpetrator that's, that, that's certainly chasing them. And then finally, the location of where they come to rest, if they're viable, 
is where they're going to pump out. And many times you see that at those locations. And, you know, a case I'm thinking about famously, and God, I hate mentioning her name, but Jody Arias, when you go back to that case and Travis Alexander's body where he came came to rest, you had that copious amount of blood where she cut his throat in that final desperate moments and then the carpet was super saturated. Well, the attack had occurred back down the hall in, in a bathroom. But in a case like this, you've got a lot of activity that's going on in this particular case. And the idea is to try to find out what the dynamic is, the points of origin from the body, what caused the injury. Because in this particular case, we've got a young mother-to-be that has been stabbed over 100 times. Let that sink in over 100 times. And not just that. She's been bludgeoned as well. One of the facts in this case is that a hammer was used on this poor woman. What can a hammer do to a skull? When it comes to the death of Reagan, this is one of the more horrific things that I've come across in some time. In addition to all of these sharp force injuries that she sustained, probably near 100, I guess, the fact is, is that she was also beaten with a hammer. And when I say hammer, it's it's not simply the blunt end of the hammer. The medical examiner concluded that not only was she struck with kind of the flat coin-shaped end of a hammer, but also the claw. So not only has Reagan been beaten with this hammer by the end that you would commonly associate with driving nails with, but this is a claw hammer. And according to the medical examiner, Reagan was also beaten with a claw as well. And these are going to be very distinctive injuries to her skull. So you're going to have this kind of underlying depressed skull fracture that you get with the end that you would commonly drive a nail with. Many times these injuries will will give the appearance of of a a, kind of a a quarter-size shape, perfectly circular. It would marry up with that end of the hammer. But then you get these nasty blows that originate from the claw. And as you well know, the claw is two-pronged. And so those can fracture the skull as well. But those injuries appear completely different. They appear different on the surface of the scalp because they almost look like an incised injury. And then into the skull, you'll have these kind of grooves that are cut into the skull where this claw actually makes impact. And it is an absolutely brutal way to die because this hammer... Over and over again, she struck five times, would have been driven deeper and deeper into her skull, dependent upon where the strikes took place. You might have an instance where you have overlapping fractures and overlapping impacts. And so it would be a collection of injuries focalized in one specific area, and her her skull would have just been crushed. What I found really strange about this, Joe, we know that the scalpel, or a scalpel rather, was removed from the woman's neck, even with the amount of blood that was found, knowing that this young mother was stabbed. The stabs were not what killed her. The autopsy showed that Hancock was strangled. How does that happen? Does that mean she was stabbed afterwards? In a lot of these cases, and look, we say this a lot, but in this particular case, when you have an individual that has this many stab wounds, what we refer to as sharp force injuries, those sites are 
whether or not you're, they're going to be fatal is heavily dependent upon the depth and if they're impacting any kind of underlying structures like vital organs. If you've got, say, for instance, a, a six-inch long butcher knife and you drive it into the chest just to the left of the sternum, well, you're going to potentially drive that home if you have the strength into the heart. And that's not instantaneous, but the individual is going to die pretty quickly. Whereas you have an individual that has cut uh, multiple surfaces of their body, it's not necessarily going to bring about an instantaneous death. And there's another thing that happens here when you think about postmortem activity with an individual that is attacking somebody. What's the rationale for it? You know, why would you obviously be stabbing or cutting someone that's obviously dead. What's the motivation behind it? And again, for us in forensics, forensic science in particular, that's not really the area that we're going to go down the road in, but we're going to make note of it because it is significant if a case like this finally goes to trial because it's demonstrative of a bigger issue. And it's rare, you know, because we know that she was struck in the head. We know that she was stabbed all these times. And then you throw on top of this that there's some kind of asphyxial event that's going on. You want to say overkill? People love to throw that term around. This is, I don't know that there's a finer example of overkill in a case than what Reagan had to endure in this. I know that she endured something. She had an awareness because her pain centers are being struck. You know, you can imagine. It goes back to, you know, that old adage about death by a thousand cuts. It's not necessarily that you're going to die instantaneously by being stabbed or cut. It's the totality, and that's a term that we use frequently in forensics, the totality of the injuries that she sustained. And then you couple that with specific anatomical locations in the body. What structures did these cuts impact beneath the surface? Did they get down into major vessels where any of her organs actually struck, where she would begin to bleed out internally? And again, those are questions that would certainly be answered in the morgue. But again, it wasn't the stabbing that killed her. She was strangled. So her fight-or-flight mechanism is both hindered and enhanced because she obviously wants to protect her baby. Mm. Yeah. But that, her, yeah. her body can't move like she would if she wasn't nearly eight months pregnant. All of us have seen women in the advanced stages of pregnancy. I, I certainly have with my wife. And you know that the longer you go, the more inhibited you are physically. There's just certain things. Your back's aching. You're constantly tired, you know, because you're caring for two, you're eating for two, you're ambulating for two, you're sleeping for two. And so you're already drained. Any attempt to thwart an attack, she's literally running on adrenaline at this point in time. Her body is not at the same level of peak performance as it would have been in life when she was not pregnant. She may have been able to fend off somebody that was smaller than her, for instance. But in a case like this, where you've got this young mother that is seven and a half months down the road in a pregnancy, she's going to be so diminished that she's not going to be able to fight off an attacker. She's just not. Physically, she's changed. Metabolically, she doesn't have the, the energy and the strength to continue on. But it, it, this is the one thing that I can say. It sounds as though, to me at least, that she fought. And she fought to the point where the attacker felt the need to injure her this many times and certainly in these various modes where we've got an asphyxial event, we've got a bludgeoning or um, a blunt force trauma event, and we've got sharp force injuries. 
I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout-out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and Go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's Better. H-E-L-P.com slash bags. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER In my office, I've actually got a scalpel handle, and it's not just any scalpel handle. It's actually the first scalpel handle that I ever used in performing an autopsy, and the pathologist that I was working with, he gave it to me. He said, you'll want to have this. Someday you'll you'll remember it, and I do, and uh, I have it there proudly displayed on my shelf in my office at the university, and the reason I bring that up is that In this case, there is an instrument involved in this homicide that, to my recollection, the best of my recollection, I've never heard of before. And that is whoever did this brought a scalpel in order to facilitate Reagan's death and concurrently removal of her unborn baby.
The first question that popped into my mind as you were talking, Joe, is where did she get a scalpel? I mean, this is, everybody thinks, oh, it's a sharp knife, but I mean, the scalpel is a very precise, very specific instrument. And it's not like you can go down to the, you know, to the drugstore and buy one, is it? No, I, I don't think that you can. You, I, I assume that there are some places, medical supply houses, and there are surgical supply locations. And I don't think that they necessarily have to have a justification for you to purchase these. And keep in mind, I'm almost positive that you can order scalpels online. I've, I've actually done it in forensics where you can, you know, you can order them, particularly if you're going to do postmortem dissections. And it's not like going out and buying a weapon or something. You don't have to have some kind of special license or anything like that. And I don't know that it it would necessarily raise any eyebrows if you did it. But in this case, this person got their hands on one. And I found it fascinating because when you begin to think about preparation, preparation of an event of this type, it, it gives you an insight into the planning that the individual would have had to have done, the perpetrator in this case. This person is actually sitting in their home thinking, okay, I've got maybe a couple of candidates here. I want a baby, and I've decided I want this baby in particular, the one that Reagan is carrying. What tools do I need? Do you see how ghastly this becomes when you begin to follow this line of logic? Look, a standard C-section that a physician performs, an OBGYN, and I know many in our audience have loved ones, and maybe many of our listeners have had a C-section. You have to show up with the appropriate tools. It just makes sense, right? I mean, it's not like they're going to come to your house and do the C-section. I guess in certain cases they would. Maybe a midwife would have to have that toolkit with them. But in this case, you think about going to the hospital, you go into labor, and they say, well, it's not going to be a vaginal delivery. We're going to have to do a C-section. Well, there is actually what's referred to as a C-section kit that trinic surgeons have at their disposal. And these things are literally just kind of laid out on the table by the surgical techs and the nurses. And when mama gets prepped, they have everything at their disposal because they've anticipated all possible outcomes. I mean, all possible outcomes because they've delivered so many babies via C-section. And in this case, you, you really wonder what else was in the perpetrator's tool bag. Was it just simply a scalpel? Did she show up with Metzenbaum scissors? Did she show up? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Did she sponges? show up with what? Mm-hmm. Metzenbaum scissors, which is a very oh, Metzenbaum pa- scissors. Yeah, Metzenbaum okay. scissors, you which are another term, <laughs> Joe. Which are well, they're they're very particular to to surgical practice, and it's something that you would find in an obstetrician's kit. In order to do this, you also have to have retractors, which are going to kind of hold back the tissue. Remember, one of the things that you're doing in a um, in a, a C-section delivery is you're actually going through the abdominal wall and then into the top of the uterus. This is not something that is going to stay in place. It has to be retracted, kind of pulled away in order to remove the baby from the mother's tummy. These are all items, and there's a whole variety. I mean, people can look this up. There's a whole list of these items that come in a kit. But you think about the person that would sit down and do this, that they would think about, well, what do I need to show up with? Well, at a baseline, they're showing up with a scalpel. And there's a very particular way that surgeons, trained surgeons, go about this. And here's something kind of interesting that a lot of people don't understand. 
when surgeons make incisions into bodies, for instance, C-sections, in an example, in a standard operating environment, like surgical environment, they follow what are referred to most of the time, not every time, okay, but most of the time, they're going to follow what are called uh, the Langer lines. And for all of my veterans that are in the audience, uh, any of us that have ever been through basic training, particularly in the Army and the Marine Corps, you have to learn to read a contour map. Well, Langer lines are actually the contours of the body. Isn't that something? So the body actually has its own grain to it. You don't see it, but it's there. And surgeons study this. And what happens is, is that when you go against the grain on a body, okay, when you go against the grain on a body and you attempt to cut across these, their lines of tension is actually what it is. When you go across those lines of tension, then you get these ghastly wounds. And that's one of the reasons that... Okay, let me stop you. Yeah, sure. Because I want to make sure that I understand mm-hmm. this. And I do not mean, I am not trying to make light of anything, but right. I can't obviously imagine cutting a person. So let's say I was cutting a steak. Yes. So basically what you're telling me is, is like cutting across the grain mm-hmm. if you're trying to trim or cut a steak. Yeah, kind of like that. And for folks that don't really fully grasp this, I'll give you even a better example. If anyone has ever had a nasty blunt force laceration that occurs on the top of your head or anywhere on your body where you impact a location, if you've ever heard a term or someone term the description of the injury as being a jagged laceration, the reason it's jagged is because that impact area has gone against the grain, against the linger lines. And so it, it opens up in a very nasty fashion. So if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to have this presentation, and particularly where you've got this young mother that's fighting for her life. And apparently in this particular case, the authorities believe, at least, that Reagan mercifully was actually deceased when you know this perpetrator opened up her womb. And remove this precious angel. So you not only have to have the right instruments, obviously, a scalpel is going to be your number one item, but something sharp to do this with. But the main thing you have to worry about is if you are the perpetrator, how you do the C-section to not injure the baby. Because let's be realistic. There's nothing delicate about what was done to Reagan. There's n- nothing delicate about this. But you have to be delicate if you are trying to save a child. Yeah. And if it is the desire of of a perpetrator in a case like this to have a viable baby, the technique which is employed here is going to be critical because just entering the body, you're going through the external abdominal wall here, which you have a layer of skin and then you have a layer of sub-Q fat that you can go through. And then any kind of fascia, which is kind of that white tissue that's on the backside of the abdominal wall. And then you get down to the organs. You're going to get down into the uterus, the top of the uterus, the roof of it, as they refer to it. And you've got all kinds of other structures that are in there, too. If you don't know enough about anatomy, if you're trying to get a viable child, then you can clip other things as well that might send the mother into a cardiac arrest. So you have to be careful. And that's why, you know, things like forceps, we refer to them as pickups. Tweezers, some people might think about that. We use big forceps. You know, you have to lift the, the roof of the uterus before you can make the incision because this is the problem that you run up against. If you're not skilled at what you're doing, you're going to 
harm the child. And that's all I will say about that point because it's so ghastly beyond that. There's a term that we use in the forensics. It's called maceration, which is where you have macerated organs. And I've seen macerated children as well. And it's a total destruction within the womb in various cases. And and in this case, it appears that this little angel was the end game here. That's what this perpetrator wanted, Jackie. So sad. In Reagan's home, in her own home, where she should feel safe and protected, there on that floor, the child was delivered into this world, and Reagan's body just kind of laid there, twisted and having bled out and dead, and perpetrator uh, left with a baby. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There are babies that do survive outside the womb as young as 22 weeks, gestational age. But it's you have to be on top of things. I mean, you, you have to be there with a mother that has given birth in a, a hospital that has neonatal intensive care unit, a NICU, and you have to have skilled people that are all around. Thank God for those people. But in this case, this child was downrange, about seven and a half months. And the normal gestational age at birth is somewhere, you know, varies 38, 39, 40 weeks is generally what they're looking at. But in this case, the baby was removed at seven and a half months. While Jess Brooks was finding her daughter lying dead on her living room floor across the state, a Texas state trooper was pulling over a car for speeding. And inside he finds Taylor Parker, who ultimately is the perpetrator in this case, giving CPR to a newborn. And Parker told the trooper that she gave birth on the side of the road, but the baby wasn't breathing. And the trooper said he could see an umbilical cord connected to the infant coming out of the female's pants, out of the Parker's pants. And then Parker and the newborn were rushed to a hospital and the baby died. But not only was the umbilical cord stuffed down Parker's pants, but the placenta was also inside Parker's pants, giving the impression that she had given birth. How did she get it? Where did it come from? Explain to us. Most of us have heard the term placenta. Tell us what it is. The placenta is is that, and it's it's this sac that literally 
provides a protected environment for the developing baby. And the baby is contained within the sack, kind of free-floating in there, cushioned from the outside world, in addition to the cushioning that, that the mother's womb creates as well. But it is essential for life, okay? You have the umbilical cord that is indwelling there that's providing nourishment for the baby from the mother. The placenta, it's a further guarantee of viability that the child will develop to the point where the child can survive outside of the mother's body. And I think that anybody that was thinking about kind of pulling this off and anticipating pulling this off, they knew enough that they would have to present with these three elements. Obviously, you mentioned the placenta, the umbilical cord, as well as the baby. And it's interesting that the umbilical cord is still attached to the baby. You know that, that and I can you know reflect back to my my precious children all those years ago when I had the privilege of snipping the umbilical cord. And I'm sure that many people in the audience have heard of this and maybe even experienced it as well. It's, it's a great moment in time, but in this case. The child was there, and she tried to feign pregnancy. And I think from a just a demonstrative standpoint, this person believes that if she presents with the placenta and with the umbilical cord and not just a baby, it's going to further convince the medical staff at whatever hospital she winds up in that she is actually the birth mother. I would imagine for the state trooper that was involved in this— they probably were kind of scratching their head, too. Maybe for a moment they thought, oh, wow, they're witnessing a miracle here. But after they begin to think about this and they're, they're assessing this individual that is telling them the story, the trooper doesn't have any choice whatsoever but to get a, an ambulance en route as quickly as possible, what we call Code 3, lights and sirens, and roll into that location and place this person and the baby in the ambulance to get them to the hospital. And, you know, I think that that was the goal all the way along. Uh, that That's the reason that these elements and evidence in this person's mind of birth were necessary. You know, she's running a game here. And as horrible as it sounds, these are props. That's what this comes down to. It's, it's horrible. The props that have been delivered from Reagan, this poor woman who's been butchered in her home, these are props to try to feign a pregnancy and give the impression that she's given birth. And it not it amazing that she's traveling with this child? And I can't really even imagine what's going on in this person's mind as they're rolling down the road to the hospital seeking help because they want the child to be viable. They have been feigning that they are the mother. And how are you going to convince the medical staff? Trust me, this is not the medical staff's first rodeo. They have seen mothers that have walked into the ER or been driven to the ER that have given birth outside the hospital. So they're looking for particular things. Like what, Joe? Because Taylor Parker, when she got to the hospital, refused, originally refused to be checked by a doctor, knowing that they would obviously see the details that would prove that she hadn't given birth. But can you kind of guide me through that? the body differences that would have been the big red flags to say, oh, no, that that's not what happened here. Well, yeah, I mean, just essentially, if you're looking at this person and assessing them, which physicians do in the emergency room, nurses do, too. Nurses are probably even better at it than the doctors. Doctors are going to treat you in and out. But I love nurses in this sense. They can figure things out real, real quickly. They're real in tune to this sort of thing. So they're looking at, at her presentation relative to her body, the way she's responding. 
is this a way a postpartum mother would be responding in this moment relative to her ability to speak, her orientation to time and space? Is there any kind of bleeding? Do they still see bleeding issuing out? I mean, you'd mentioned that the placenta was actually contained within her pants, okay? And then the umbilical cord was leading from there to this little angel's body. Well, was there continued bleeding? Because with a a vaginal birth, you're still going to have bleeding if if things have not been assessed and treated properly at that moment in time. In those first few moments of the postpartum state, it requires rest. It requires downtime on the mother, and she's not presenting that way. And then I would imagine they would think it's very curious that this individual would not want to be assessed, that you know they don't want to disrobe. They don't want them to take a look at them. And with a vaginal birth, one of the assessments that's made, you know, prior to delivery vaginally is that they have these markers for what's referred to as dilation. And this this is a natural occurrence where the vaginal opening is beginning to to open further and further. And, you know, you go to dilation relative to and it's measured in centimeters. One of the obvious things that you would look for is was she dilated at all? Is there any evidence of that? Because if if she hasn't given birth, then the vagina and the vaginal opening is going to appear in its normal state. And so how do you explain the fact that you have this baby? You have this baby with the umbilical cord still attached, and there's no evidence of a birth per their physical examination. I can't even begin to fathom the reaction of the medical staff as they're standing there, they're probably eyeballing one another and thinking, you know, what the hell is going on here? I, I can't imagine that that this is actually her child because there's no evidence of this. We must be witnessing a miracle, either that or she's lying to us. Ultimately, this baby died. Did the baby die because it was not viable? Did it die, do you think, because it was injured during the horrific removal from its mother's body. Now, I think that this is a, a, a grievously traumatic situation for this baby to have survived in. First off, you've got this, you know, this kind of adrenaline rush that's going on with the mother where she's fighting for her life. That's going to impact, I think some folks might disagree, but I think that that's going to impact the baby's ability to survive. Additionally, we don't actually know what kind of trauma may have been inflicted on on this child. You know, during the course of this just barbaric act that this this person perpetrated on Reagan. And then you have to think about post-delivery care of a child. You know, there's certain things that have to be done with a baby. You know, I think a lot of us have this image of the old-timey doctor inverting a baby by their ankles and spanking them on the backside and the baby starts squalling. And obviously, that's something that has occurred and still does occur. You know, you begin to think about suctioning the baby's nose, checking the baby's vitals to see if they're all within normal parameters. And we cannot forget that even though seven and a half months is, in fact, viable, you're still talking about a premature baby at this point. And every baby is different. Okay, Every baby is different relative to the gestational development. Are, are there lungs sufficient to the task in order to to handle breathing at that point in time, processing of, of oxygen? Is the heart sufficient to the task in order to have appropriate circulation throughout the body? There's all kinds of metabolic considerations with a child. And of course, you've got this huge gap in time because of this horrible act where we don't really know how much time had elapsed since her baby was stolen from her, from Reagan's body within her home to the point that 
this person was finally pulled over by the state troopers. You were talking about being prepared to do this act to remove the baby from its mother's womb outside of a surgical suite. And what's really interesting is to learn that according to testimony in this trial, Taylor Parker bought a fake baby bump. She posted pictures on her social media saying that she was pregnant. She had internet searches on her devices, a fake ultrasound scan online, a purchase, dozens of baby belly photos and selfies. She stalked OB clinics in East Texas and Shreveport looking for places where she could find pregnant women, even looking up the license plates of patients coming out. She searched online for private adoptions and out-of-hospital birth certificates. And according to testimony, she even watched videos just days before the murder on how to do a C-section and how to examine a newborn. And there was even a spoof cell phone number used to contact Reagan Hancock. What are your final thoughts, Joe? When you begin to think about this kind of prosthetic device that's being used to try to fool everybody into thinking that you're with child, the imagery, you know, that you're you're generating off of off of the internet and the idea that that you're in a celebratory mood going in to this butchery is what it comes down to. This baby and Reagan both, they never had a chance. So at the conclusion of her trial, Taylor Renee Parker, 29, was found guilty of murdering Reagan Michelle Simmons Hancock, who was only 21 years of age. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.